Marriage. No matter where your marriage is right now, it can be full of hope, grace, change, and love. Listen in as we present Pursue Marriage Weekender 2023, a series of sessions and sermons where the Bible is celebrated, marriages are nurtured, and lives are transformed. We check your Bibles tonight, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, also find in your Bible Mark chapter 10. Uh, I think Mark chapter 10 is probably going to end up being on the screen, uh, but I really, I I like screens, but I hate them at the same time. And so I want you to be able to know where stuff's at in your Bible. So Genesis chapter 2 in your Bible tonight. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to talk about a subject that some people love and some people probably don't. So I'm happy. My wife and I got married in the 90s. I'm saying 90s because I don't remember what year it was. 28 years ago? Was it 92? Really? I was going to say 94. I thought it was 94. I had a different girlfriend in 92. Um, (laughs) She just sent me a card. Um, I'm totally teasing. She she didn't. Um, But... uh, um, we were married in 1994, and when we got married, you had to grow up in our church culture to understand some stuff. Um, number one, we understood biblically and understand biblically that God created sex for marriage. I'll say that better because some of y'all were sleeping. We understood and understand biblically that God created sex as a gift to married people who are married to each other. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm married. I'll screw whoever I want. No, no, that's, I probably shouldn't have said something like, oh boy, here we go. And so we, we didn't, we didn't um, get any marriage counseling, dumbest decision of our life. It wasn't that we didn't try to get pre-marriage counseling. We actually went to get it. And this, I'll never forget the words of our pastor. I can take you right where I was in San Dimas, California. He said, Chris, you guys are doing great. I don't think you need marriage counseling. And I was wise, 22-year-old kid. I believed and followed pastoral counsel. And I said, you're right. And so we didn't get it. We didn't get any marriage counseling. And, and in our culture, in our church culture, which is the, uh, was a very godly culture and a Christ-centered culture, we remained pure through the entirety of our dating process. But I'll tell you what, I could not wait to get married. And I couldn't wait to get married, just to be honest with you, because I want to share my life with Debbie, but I wanted to have sex really bad. Can somebody else in here say, man, you're like, oh, we wanted to play dominoes together. Really? That's really what you were looking for. Like, oh, I can't wait just to hold her hand and go for walks. I don't know how Troy spends time together, but Chris and Debbie, that's not what we do. He said, well, you got to talk. We figured that out. That's what you're about to learn. Well, we, we uh, got married and our Honeymoon, I mean, I was broke. I was a college student in our college. You had to get married between semesters. So we got married December 26, 1994. And um, so we got married the day after Christmas, and it was fantastic. We got in the car, and I was so excited. I get to see her naked for the first time. And, um, and she was so scared, like, I have to see him naked for the first time. And... <laughs> No lime. We got, I thought, and this is what I learned. This is what people told me. Oh, people have been figuring this out for, for thousands of years, Chris. It's not that hard. And so we went um, and we uh, go to, you know, engage in, in sex. And nothing worked right. Like nothing. It was horrific. It wasn't very long, Pastor Troy, before Debbie's in the corner huddled up in the fetal position in tears, and I'm watching Leave It to Beaver. No lie, I'm watching Leave It to Beaver. Wally's on my TV on my honeymoon night. And it's like, gee, Wally. (laughs) Oh, I've never watched it since. Brings back bad memories. (laughs) Well, I'm resilient. If you know me, optimism is kind of my thing. Type A, driven. Okay, the next day will get better. It didn't, it got worse. The next day will get better. It didn't, it got worse. The next day will get better. It didn't, it got worse. And so on and so forth for 11 days. The first time that we had sex was 11 days later. In our first year of marriage, that was the first of grand total four times we had sex. Four times. 
We went for counseling and people said over and over again, just figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. One of those four times, uh, Debbie got pregnant. That's what we said. <laughs> Literally, out of four times you get pregnant. Now, God blessed us with a wonderful daughter. She lives in Hawaii now, and she's awesome and amazing. I love her to death, but one of those four times. Our second year we got married, we had sex three times. In two years, 700 and something days, however many that is, you math people can tell me, uh, we had sex seven times. We were averaging one time every 100 days. It was not amazing. Our third year of marriage, we thought things would really improve. And, and I will tell you that we tried to work on it and we were diligent and we read the book that was out about it for Christians. And um, our third year, it was four times. So we were at one, three, or four, three, now four. Now we're like a thousand days into our marriage and we've literally had sex 11 times. The next year of our marriage, it was about three or four. I remember the year when we averaged having sex every other month. And I'll never forget what I thought. It can't get better than this. Every other month? There was a radio doctor at the time, and I was just listening to him on the way home one time. I didn't listen to him normally. He was on the radio. A radio is what used to be in your car before, podcast. And you, how many of you are old enough to remember you were just kind of at the will of the, whatever was on the radio station. It was either death metal or that. So you went with that. And <sighs> nobody in their right mind would ever listen to the other. So you're listening to that. And, and uh, Dr. Dean Adele, and he was talking about a healthy sex life. And I remember him saying, some people have sex more than once a week. And I thought, Really? And I went home and told Debbie, and she looked at me like, you are such a perv. <laughs> that got shot down pretty quick. <laughs> and we went for help, and nobody told us. And we looked for help, and nobody talked to us. And over and over and over again, and I'm going to be the first to tell you there was a distance that was there. There was a great wound that was in our marriage, not just for me, but for me and Debbie. There was a connection and a closeness that we did not have because the only way to have that is through the God-ordained means of sexual fulfillment for a husband and a wife. It was a bummer experience to have to go through seven very difficult and dark years. Some of it was medically induced. Some of it was upbringing in the culture that my wife grew up in. Some of it was upbringing in the culture that I grew up in. And, and, and what the big issue was in both cultures, especially within the church world, was this. You better not talk about it. If you talk about sex, you have just clearly defined the reality that you are nothing more than a perv. Now, I will submit to you that most of the men who said that were perverts. It wasn't uncommon to find out later the adultery and the affairs that was going on in their churches and, and the abuse that was being uh, perpetrated on innocent people, even within their own environments. Meanwhile, we were told we shouldn't, if we really love Jesus, this is what I was told, and I'm, I'm being super candid with you. I was told this so many times, I about lost my mind. If you really love Jesus, you shouldn't want sex. I was a young man as a pastor, and I said, Lord, if I need to put sex on the altar and give it up, I'll do it, but I just don't feel like that's right. I waited for marriage like I'm supposed to wait. I, we abstained like we're supposed to abstain. God, is there something more that you want from Debbie and I? And we began to pray. We began to talk. We actually went on walks and talked about this. We began to think about it. We began to digest every resource that we could. But if I could be super candid with you, there was a deep wound in our marriage that we were not able to heal. Well, whenever I talk about this subject and I tell our story, 
And I figured it out one time. In seven years, I think we ended up having sex a total of like 54 times, 53 times. It improved in the latter years, obviously, a little bit. And then God did something amazing. We learned a lot. God bless. There were some amazing stories that I don't have time to tell because of the nature of what's going on tonight. But whenever I talk about this, and we're going we're gonna to delve deep tonight, and we're going to delve really fun tomorrow. I, I think fun. Might not be fun. But I want to be super careful about this. I want you to understand implicitly that having a lot of sex does not mean you have a good marriage. I've seen people that have a lot of sex and uh, they really have crummy marriages because it's just a physical act between two people. But for the average married couple, your sex life is an indicator of the health of your marriage. A bad sex life is almost always an indication of a bad marriage barring something medical. It's an indication of there being a problem that is much deeper than is being had. I want to be careful to say, though, that I understand there might be some people here with some medical issues. I get that. I don't want anyone to think that a healthy marriage can be had without showing Christ-like grace, mercy, patience, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. We can do the fruits of the Spirit, faith. And what we heard tonight, resilience or perseverance, as how I wrote it in my notes. Sex is a sacred grace of God to be enjoyed by every married couple, especially Christian married couples. Because it is a gift from God to his people. This most sacred topic would and should not be trifled with. There are many who have been deeply hurt and and wounded by a distortion of this most sacred gift of God. That's why the Bible is super clear in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18, where the scripture says to flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sinneth against his own body. Sex outside of marriage is a personal sin that causes a personal problem. And some of you undoubtedly in a room this size have experienced some of the hurts that maybe you performed or maybe that were uh, uh, negatively forced on you. And to you, my heart goes out in prayer. And I would say that there is healing in Jesus. And I would say there is hope in the gospel. I do not want to minimize those hurts. So tonight, some folks might laugh. Tomorrow, probably a little more because I know the content of both. That's okay. They're not being simplistic with the concept of sex and marriage. It's just how they would respond. And the fact that I'm amazingly funny. I'm teasing. <laughs> so before you give a judgment tonight on what is to be said, let me encourage you to hear everything that is said tonight and tomorrow morning. Some here might be very stubborn on the issue. Some have heard it before. I think the last time I preached on this, according to my notes, is 2019, so five years ago, four or five years ago, I preached on it. Some might say, well, we seldom have sex and we're both fine with it, so we're okay. If you're fine with what God's not fine with, you're not okay. Some might say she has hurts in her past and I'm never going to get her to be vulnerable again. Maybe you even say, I heard her in the past. And some might be here tonight and say, I can't wait to hear this. The Bible says, one of my memory verses is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 1, where the Bible says, according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. I might use some terms tonight like high desire spouse. That's the spouse that wants sex more often. And low desire spouse. That's the spouse that wants it less often. 
You say, oh, pastor, there's always got to be one, and there's always got to be the other. I would submit to you that when you understand sex from a biblical perspective, you are both going to be a much more highly desirous spouse. Here's the realities of the point. Many have spent an aggregate amount of time trying to distort all that God's given us to enjoy. If you go back to the Catholic Church in the early days and see how they viewed sex, church authorities issued edicts forbidding sex on Thursdays. They said the day of Christ's arrest. On Fridays, they said the day of his death. On Saturdays, in honor of the Blessed Virgin. On Sundays, in honor of the departed saints. Wednesdays sometimes made the list of forbidden sex days as did the 40-day feast period before Easter, so right now, and then Christmas, and then Pentecost, and cost, and, and the feast days, and the days of the apostles, as well as the days of female impurity. The list escalated until there were 44 days a year that remained available for marital sex. Everybody called in sick those 44 days. <laughs> Leap forward a thousand years and look at the prevailing mindset. We see a gentle shift from piety to propriety as England's influence resulted in a Victorian attitude. Really, through much of the world, it was characterized by extreme modesty and utter silence on Issues related to sexual intimacy. A woman wasn't even supposed to expose her ankles lest she cause a man to lust. Dude, if that's you, we need to help you. The attitude so permeated Victorian society that people began to cover the legs of their furniture for fear that a dude could get turned on by his couch. I didn't write the rules. I'm just telling you what they said. I don't have time to read every illustration. But one might think that that is a bygone era and that we don't really need that. I mean, our culture, and I'll speak to this for a minute, our culture, in a minute, again, our culture is permeated by sexual advertising and sexual promiscuity and sexual conversations. And and 25% of women in America today, 25% of women in America today have been attacked or abused in some way. What a vile number that is. Uh, uh, men are addicted at a greater rate than ever and women are addicted at a greater rate than ever to pornography. And so we would think that that leads to some form of sexual fulfillment. But the reality is, according to an article in the Washington Post by Christopher Ingram, dated March 13th, 2019, it's a well-written article and researched well about the infrequency of married sex in the U.S. Here's the concluding paragraph. All of this information was in the previous paragraph, and he says, underscoring the point, the share of people who are having relations once a week or more is on a downward trajectory from 51% in 1996 to 39% today. 61% of married couples in the world today 60 are in America today, have sex less frequently than once a week. I was with a group of pastor and church leaders and, and I had just read this and, and I brought that up just as a point of conversation between dudes and two of the leaders that were quite well known in, in the group that they're in and they looked at me and they said, Chris, who in their right mind has sex more than once a week? I was waiting for the punchline. I was waiting for the joke. Because, I mean, I like to laugh, and so I'm just waiting for them to tell me what. No, no, there was no joke. And there was no punchline. So we got, because God hates seeing his children walk around hurting, I'm going to look for the next few minutes at this subject uh, of sex from a biblical perspective. Sex as God designed it. 
Tonight, I want you to see in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 24, the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife. I love this phrase because this is the phrase we should live for. And were not ashamed. I want you to notice, it's a three-point message. Point number one is tonight, two and three are tomorrow. Number one, God designed sex for his people to enjoy. God designed sex for his people to enjoy. Though sex is distorted, why is sex distorted? Because Satan hates what God creates. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse number 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Tim Allen Gardner in his phenomenal book, Sacred Sex, says this, our, our sex-saturated culture worships bodies, focuses on individual pleasure, and glorifies sex outside of marriage. Comedians and radio shock jocks, and we could add to this, podcasters rise to fame and fortune, pandering to our basest impulses. Women learn from the industry of female appearance that the key to getting a man is a perfect body and a willingness to show a lot of it. Advice columnists remind us that by the third date, you should be ready and willing to have sex. Cartoon heroines for kids are drawn with 20-inch waist and 44-inch bust. The financial cost of business productivity in the U.S. alone is estimated to be $20 billion annually. Sadly, mass media has become the leading sex educator in America today, showing sex between unmarried partners 24 times or 2,400% more frequently than between spouses. But this hasn't led to a more sexually satisfied culture. As a matter of fact, we're worse off than we could ever have imagined. As a culture, we've decided that when it comes to sexuality, knowledge is fulfillment. In his popular 1970s book, Everything That You Ever Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask, author David Rubin stated uh, uh, that the, and by the way, he's a perverted dude on every level. Don't read the book. Now you're going to go read it. Just listen to me. Please don't. But he said, the more you know about sex, the more you can enjoy it. From the likes of Masters and Johnson's to the Johnson, I should say, to the Kinsey Institute, the phases and causes of orgasm for both men and women have been studied, documented, filmed, and analyzed. Sexual therapy and medical science can cure almost every type of dysfunction. We know how it all works, and we think we know how to make it all work better, and yet study after study after study show sexual satisfaction is continuing to decline. Our songs are filled with it. Our TV shows are rampant with it. YouTube, streaming services, it's everywhere. Our children see it. I've had people want to leave our church because I preach messages similar to this, and yet their kids have a phone. And they're like, well, well, I know everything that goes on in my kid's phone. Now, yeah, no, no, you don't. And if you do, because your kids have told me what's on their phone, I can't believe that you allow that. The target audience for porn in America today is young boys between six and eight years old and young women 11 to 17. Why are they the targets? According to uh, their own executives and industry insiders, because they've gotten the rest of the market share for the other age groups. Oh, but pastor, please don't mention this from God's perspective. Well, you're not teaching them at home. And we don't want some lost person at the public school to teach them. Do you want Twitter to teach them? God forbid. You want Facebook or you want them to Google it? 
Pastor Chadwick, are you alone? Yeah, yeah, I'm alone. Can I talk to you? Sure, what's up? You're the only pastor I know that talks about sex from the pulpit. I, I don't know what to do. Um, well, why don't you tell me where we're at? A conversation I had seven years ago. My seven-year-old daughter was on the playground and she heard that boys kiss girls and it's fun. She asked us about it and we blew her off like we should have. And I said, amen. Answer the question. Don't blow her off, but answer the question, but don't make it a bigger deal than it needs to be. But we gave her an iPad and we, we put every parental block on it that we could. But Pastor, we didn't know that she was staying up hours into the night and she figured out a way around it. And my wife grabbed her by chance, her iPad today, because she's homeschooled and began to watch stuff on it. And Pastor, my daughter has been watching gay porn for months. What do I do with my seven-year-old daughter? That's the world we live in. That's why if you get upset about this, please don't come and talk to me about it because it won't end well for you and I'll feel vindicated. Just being really candid with you. It's kind of weak preaching and teaching from the pulpit that has led to Christians being injured. And the fact that you feel uncomfortable with something is not going to project on this ministry at all. We don't worry about that kind of stuff. We want to help people from a biblical perspective. There is no doubt sex has been distorted. Man, I got to hurry. Sex has been distorted in every way. I want you to notice verse number 24 in our text. Let me give you some biblical authority. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. The origin of sex, where did sex come from? There's so much to unpack here and, and we dealt with the cleaving, word cleaving the other night at Canyon Ridge. So if you weren't here, you go to another church. If you feel led of the Lord and your pastor's okay with it, you can go back and watch the video or listen to the podcast, whatever, that's fine. I don't have time to deal with that. But let me simply say in, in, in brief terms, the word cleave means to be stuck together for life, never to be separated. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. One flesh. This is uh, the idea or the reality of what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse number 9. Look there real quick. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. I don't mean to be rude. He didn't make them transitioners. I, I'm not trying to be unkind. God made them male and female. The gender you are is the gender God wants you to be. And it's the gender you'll find the most fulfillment in because that's how the sovereign creator of the universe created you. God made them. Those aren't accidental words. Those are the words of Jesus. This is how you were created. It's like Jesus is saying, I was there when we picked it. You say, well, I wish you had picked something different. Well, if you'd been picked different, then you'd still wish you'd have been picked something different because it's not an issue of what you wish. It's discontent with what God has given you. And I don't have time to deal with all that, but if you struggle with that, please come talk to me. I'd love to visit with you about it. And, and I won't be passionate. I want to answer every question people have. For this cause shall a man, verse number seven, leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. So when they are no more twain but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Notice the text in Genesis and Mark say one flesh. He doesn't say, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, cleave unto his wife and they shall be one heart. You don't have to feel the same emotionally as your spouse. Praise God for that. Every once in a while, Debbie will come in and, and she'll be watching, I don't know, something. She likes to watch like pet things online that make her swim. She'll go, what do you, isn't that so cute? And I'm just looking at it going, not really. She's like, you don't find that amazing? No. She goes, what do you think of that? I'm disturbed that you're looking at it. Now, growing up, come on, we got to have some dudes in here. I know you're sitting next to your wife, but please be on my team for just a minute, just a minute. I love watching nature videos to watch animals eat other animals. 
Can I get an amen? Come on, come on. Just, some of you are like, I ain't saying. Yo, that's why I liked it. Like, like Debbie's like, is there a lion in there? We first were there. I love it. She goes, what, 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 what's it doing? <laughs> oh, you see that wildebeest? She goes, yeah, you ain't about to. The wildebeest is lunch. And she's like, well, the wildebeest is injured. Yeah, that's why they're going for it. Watch this. And she's like, I've got to leave the room. You pansy. So I turned it up as loud as I could. She'd go to the other room and sing as loud as she could. It was awesome. It was great. Troy and I were related from different parents. And um, um, we don't have to think the same. We don't have to be emotionally the same. Things that really bother my wife about my kids, I'm like, yeah, well, no big deal. Things that bother me about my kids to Debbie, she's like, why is that a problem for you? Well, because we're not the same emotionally. Praise his holy name. If you're the same emotionally as your spouse, somebody's jacked up. <laughs> Somebody should say amen in here because the dudes in here are like, I can't believe he's saying what I've been thinking for 32 years. <laughs> You don't have to be the same. He doesn't say, shall have one mind. You don't have to think the same. Emotions make you cry, make you laugh, do whatever, do whatever. But, but you don't have to think the same. It's okay for you and your wife to have a difference of opinion. That's all right. It's, it's not a bad thing. God doesn't say you have to have the same mind. You have to be respectful. You have to be kind. There has to be an issue of submission in both of your hearts. There has to be deferment, all of that. But you don't have to think the same about everything. My wife likes the window seat. I like the aisle seat when we fly. But we both do agree that we hope nobody sits in the middle seats. So when we're on Southwest, let me tell you what I do. You take the biggest burrito you can get. You got to be big like me, though. And you turn your back and you just start coughing. And you wear a shirt that says, I'll tell you about Jesus if you sit here. And when people look up at you, just slobber. And Debbie's like, why do you do that? Well, I just want to see if we'll get a free seat. Like nobody's sitting here. I got on a plane that last time I got on a plane, or time before last, before I went to Columbia, I got on a plane and the stewardess said, it's a full flight. And the lady was sitting next to me. I said, I think there's going to be one empty seat here. She said, how do you know that Debbie wasn't flying with me? I said, cause I learned this trick with my wife. And so I turned my back, did the whole thing. The seat was empty. The lady and I didn't talk at all. But as soon as it was done, we were high-fiving each other and we flew the whole way. It was awesome. You don't have to think the same. You don't have to have one mind. It would help your marriage to understand your spouse can think differently than you. It, it would help your marriage for you to understand your, how, your spouse can feel differently than you. But notice what the text says. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Bring up the verse in, in 1 Corinthians. Meat for the belly and the belly for meat. Meats. Take that, vegetarians. <laughs> but God shall destroy both it and them. <laughs> if you're a vegetarian, we'll pray for you. We love you, but man, give me your hot dog. Um, now, the body is not for fornication. Body is not for sex outside of marriage, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord... So he's drawing this back to the resurrection and will also raise us up by his own power. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What was he talking? He's talking to the people in Corinth. And they say that in Corinth, for every man in Corinth, there were three or four prostitutes. And it was culturally acceptable to regularly use the prostitute. Matter of fact, you only had sex with your wife for offspring is what historians tell us. And for fun or pleasure or fulfillment, you would use a prostitute. Go back. I didn't, I didn't say move yet. You're, on, you're working too fast for me. 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? Shall I have sex outside of marriage? Let's apply that just, just for a minute because the sides of the room, we might have just maybe one person that struggles with this, okay? So I'll read it this way. Shall I then take the members of Christ, my body, because remember verse number 15, know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the body that I have, the member of Christ that I have, and make it the member of porn? God forbid. Oh, 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 oh. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a perverted thought life? God forbid. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them a members of a repressive sexual society that wants absolutely nothing to do with their spouse? God forbid. Now you can go. What? You say, is he really say it that way? In my world, Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? Well, how are you joined to a harlot? You don't even know the harlot. You're not thinking the same as the harlot. You're not feeling the same as a harlot. But you're obviously joined to a harlot through the act of sexual intercourse. That he which is joined to a harlot is one body. For two saith he shall be one flesh. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Go back. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, but he that is joined to a, a, a harlot is one flesh. Why is she, Why are you one flesh and one body? Because God said, two shall be one flesh. So in Genesis chapter 2 and Mark chapter 10, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He is not, from a biblical perspective, talking about emotional intimacy, though Pastor Troy helped us understand a little bit about that tonight, and that's to be fought for. He is talking about physical intimacy or sexual intimacy. Paul reiterated this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 31, when he quotes it. It seems like there's a redundancy in Scripture about this idea, and a redundancy in Scripture always helps us to understand that God is drawing a special attention to that. It's like God is highlighting the concept. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Sex is God's design. Genesis chapter 2 is before the fall. It's before the fall. Well, you only like sex because you're a sinner. Well, I'm a sinner, and and that's true, but I like sex because I'm a child of the king. And sex is good because I'm a child of the king. And the king of kings and lord of lords created it for me and every married couple, especially believers, to enjoy. It's God's design. It's not a totalitarian idea conjured up by some despotic person to keep you in bondage. It's a gift from our loving gracious heavenly father whose sole purpose in giving us sex is so that we would be a picture to the wonderful submissive relationship we should have with him. Baby, I'm submitted to you in the bedroom. I'm gonna fulfill your needs. I'm gonna give you what what your needs are. This time together is not about me, it's about us. It's not about my climax. It's about our connection. The point of sex, baby, is is not about orgasm. It's about oneness. It's about coming together, two who were separate, coming together as one. And it's the only time you get to be one flesh. Go back to Ephesians 5. Would you? Thanks. Two can't become one outside of the sexual intercourse. This is the origin. 
And I want to talk in conclusion in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Normally, this is an hour and 10-minute message that I'm going to do in like 40 minutes. Verse number 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I want you to notice the purity of sex. Within the marriage covenant, sex is not something that is impure. You say it's not something that's impure. It's something that is inherently pure and beautiful. It's a time of total acceptance. Not ashamed. There's no shame. That's what it means. There's no shame. There's no disgrace. There's no guilt when two married people come together. Not because there were no other, people say, well, Adam and Eve, there were no other people to compare Adam and Eve to. And, and I just feel so insecure in the bedroom because there's so many men that are more fit than me or younger than me or skinnier than me or bigger than me or wealthier than I am or whatever the case may be. They, they drive a Ford and I drive a Yugo. I don't know. They, there's a thousand things that we can feel inferior about. But in the, in, within the confines of the, the sexual union between husband and wife, it's a place of you are totally accepted by me and I am totally accepted by you. The thundering message of our culture is inescapable. The thundering message of social media is so prevalent. If you don't start buying these things that we have, if you don't start dressing this way, if you don't start taking pictures this way, then, then you are miserable and inferior. Why would you even try to enjoy life, giant loser? I want to help all of your marriages out. Listen to me right now. When you leave here, Take that social media app that you have. Don't delete it. Change the password. Well, what should I change the password to? This is what I want you to do. Just run your fingers across the screen for about five minutes. Copy and paste it. Hit save so that no one will ever know it. And then leave it like that so you can never get into it again as long as you live. We told somebody this week, I don't know where Zane Garza is. Zane Garza is doing some counseling right now. We told the dude this week, like, if you don't get rid of your phone, your life literally is going to be over. He said, well, what do I do? I need a phone. You really don't need a phone. But if you have to have a phone, get a flip phone. He said, well, I don't think I can afford one. They're like 30 cents. <laughs> Matter of fact, there's one in my grandma's grave. She died in the 80s. She's got a car phone. How many remember those with the bag that you carried around? Got one of those. Get some, do something. Our culture is telling you you're not good enough. And God is saying, not only are you good enough, I created this for you to enjoy with one person for the rest of your life. You say, Pastor, one person the rest of my life, it's going to be boring. Not if you do it the Jesus way. You said there's a Jesus way to sex. It's the only quality of marriage that he wrote a whole book about. It's called the Song of Solomon's. It's one masterful song. He said, I read that. I don't even understand it. I know I'm going to teach you tomorrow. Sex is so pure, God wrote a book about it. And that's the whole idea of the book. Somebody said, well, I think that's a picture of Jesus Christ and his church. Yeah, Welcome to Isa Jesus and Distortion World. And the world is flat for you too, isn't it? We didn't go to the moon, and there's little space people out here. <laughs> well, Pastor, I heard somebody talk about it. He's the space agent out there. Yes, he is. So I don't think you should make fun of people. I don't think you should distort the word of God and hurt Christians. I'm, more, I'm way more comfortable making fun of stupid people than I am hurting Christians that are just trying to find some help. I'm going to preach a whole series on how the Song of Solomon is Jesus in the church. I ain't going. Why? Because I don't listen to heresy. We got 12 preachers in here, and half of them right now are like, I knew he shouldn't come. I knew it. 
you take a yoked up dude in a white shirt that's not tucked in, black pants, and he's wearing cojones with white soles. Something had to be wrong here. Matter of fact, Troy right now is like, hey, let's leave now. The purity of sex. A lack of shame is to be found in the total acceptance we have with our spouse. I think it was 2012 I wrote these words in a sermon I preached. I know your faults and failures, yet as we enter into this intimate, personal, and covenant relationship, I accept you. I don't accept just part of you, I accept all of you. I'm looking at my wife because it's creepy if I look at you. I not only accept you, I give you myself, all of me, I'm yours, all of me. I'll be vulnerable before you, I will love you the way you want to be loved, and I will allow you to love me the way you desire to love me. I said that because several years ago, John Legend sang a song and I was walking through a store and I heard it. I didn't believe it, so I hit my Shazam app to figure out what the song was and I went home and listened to it. And the chart-topping song, All of Me, because all of me loves all of you, loves your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections, Give your all to me, I give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning, and baby, even when I lose, I'm winning. All of me. I couldn't help when I heard that, and I thought about, as soon as I heard it, I thought about the message that I preached and the sermon that I wrote, and I couldn't help but think, Jesus gave his all to me. You see, we talked about marriage at Canyon Ridge on Sunday morning, the why of marriage. And the first point when we ask why marriage as we pursue love is fundamentally this. Marriage displays the unending love Christ has for the world. Why marriage? Because I want to live a better life. No, that's weak because you might not live a better life. I can't guarantee you tonight that there won't be somebody in here that might lose a spouse next year. I wouldn't want that to happen for anything, not for anything in the world. But that happens. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. I mean, let's be honest, that happens. Or somebody might get sick in this room and there might not be any cure for that sickness. So if marriage is just about me living a better life, that's kind of a hopeless endeavor because there's no guarantee. Well, I want marriage because we can make better money. It's just easier to do it. And they've given us some tax breaks with the kids and stuff. So, so that's why we stay married. Well, what if administrations change? And what if the amount of money coming in changes? And we're getting ready to go through a recession. I mean, all the signs are there. So what if you lose your job or she loses her job or that new Tesla that you bought, the battery blows up in the garage? I mean, what, what happens? Not that we would want a Tesla battery to blow up. Buy a Mustang, it'll blow up. <laughs> if marriage is simply about I want to do better financially, there's no guarantee of that. Well, I love kids and I've just always wanted kids, so we're going to get married because I've always wanted to be a mom. Hey, listen, that is a wonderful thing. That is a fantastic pursuit. I wouldn't minimize that for anything in the world. But there's no guarantee you'll have kids. There's none. And then when you have kids, many of you would agree, there's times you want to give them back. <laughs> I told our church the other day, I've got a dog, a beautiful dog, a wonderful dog. The church got her for my birthday, my 50th birthday. She's a mini burner due to 14.3 pounds. She loves me every single time she sees me. I'll go home tonight, she's like, she never saw me before. I'll wake up in the morning, never saw me before. I'll walk to the kitchen and she's in the living room and I'll come back, never saw me before. I mean, this dog just loves me to death. I walked through the house the other day, went outside to put something in my trunk, walked back in, it was like a 40 second trip. And I walked back in and she's like, who are you? It's so happy to see me. And I looked at Debbie, I'm like, why did we ever have kids? 
I've walked back into the house after being gone for months, seeing my daughters there like, yo, what up, dog? Like, what? <laughs> I'm kidding. They didn't say, they thought that, though. No guarantee you have kids. The reason for your marriage is to be a picture to the world that Jesus Christ has an unending love for them. And he created something beautiful and wonderful to help you connect every single day of your life. And that's the beautiful sexual relationship reserved for married couples. Why sex and marriage on a regular basis? Well, James 1.17, because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Sex is not a duty, it's a delight. If you feel it's a duty, you need some help. And I don't mean that in a funny way. You need some help. Debbie and I counsel people regularly. We'd love to visit with you, but there's other people that can help you. Troy and Terry are amazing at this. And as a matter of fact, he taught on it last time he was here, but I didn't understand any of the words he said because he was a science teacher and I just sat there and felt dumb. I'm kidding, he did it. It was awesome. It's an expression of our love. It's a demonstration of our devotion. For the Christian, God made sex within marriage to bring oneness, to foster intimacy and closeness and to bring two together. God did not give us sex simply to enjoy one another physically, though we should, and there's nothing wrong with that. But like all things God created for us, he gave us sex to learn more about him. Yes, it draws us closer to God. That's why he says it's to be enjoyed. We'll see tomorrow, 1 Corinthians, because some of you are still non-believers in this topic, and that's fine. I, I want you to struggle. Minds are changed over deliberate thought, not convincing funny arguments. So I want you to think deeply about it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God gave you your spouse to fulfill you sexually. And you're to fulfill her sexually. You for her and she for you. That's how it is. It's a painful topic at times. It can be difficult. And my heart goes out to the person that struggled with some medical stuff. Over that seven-year period, my wife and I went through many medical difficulties. She went through some major ones. Ladies, you could ask her about it. I won't say it publicly. I wouldn't take that liberty. But you could ask her about it. And we had to figure a ton of things out. And it's been a boatload of work. And as Pastor said earlier tonight, it's been a ton of deposit after deposit after deposit after deposit after deposit. And 28 years in, life is good. Life is really good. Well, I want the really good part. Then go through the difficult part of making it work together. And some of you are here tonight going, man, I knew he's going to talk about this. That's why I wanted to be sick. I prayed for COVID. I did everything. Please don't think that way. Just ask God to open your heart to the truth of his word because to say this isn't to be enjoyed is to say God's not good. This is a beautiful thing. God is the giver of life. God is the giver of sex. Life comes through this. It's not the only reason for it, but procreation is a point and it's to be enjoyed. Sex as God designed is a wonderful, wonderful reality. Nine o'clock is my time. 8.59, mark it down. It's a day in history. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power. Thank you for listening. Find more messages every week at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m.